Hi, welcome. This is Dr. John Martini. This is one of the most amazing and inspiring shows that you can listen into. If you want to be on the edge of your seats, if you want to open up your heart, if you want to expand your mind, and you want to meet incredible people, stay tuned because you're just about to experience a transformative radio show that will change your life. And you're listening to the Dr. Pat Show that's coming up right next. The following audio is via a Skype call. Welcome to the Dr. Pat Show. Talk radio to thrive by. Powerful, inspiring, and coming to you live, bringing you stories of people like you and me, busting through and living life full out. Get ready to dare to wonder what your life would be like if you knew you could not fail. Hey, everybody, welcome. It is so great to have all of you tune us in and turn us on. I mean, it is exciting. What a lineup we have for everyone here today. Uh, you know, it is really fascinating for me about you know, how I wake up and, and, and take a look at, oh, my gosh, today I get to have a conversation with Tamarack Song. And it's like, wow, Pat, you get to have a conversation with Tamarack Song. And what's a conversation about? Well, definitely it will be about, you know, the book that I actually have in my hand, Becoming Nature, Learning the Language of Wild Animals and Plants. And it'll probably be about a whole lot of other things. And the reason that that is, is because sometimes in the world, you come across people that show up in life and they have decided to step out in a way that you can't really describe. You know, I was just on a call with someone and, you know, I, I was saying to them, you know, sometimes in the world we live in, a business plan doesn't really talk about the fact that here we are and what we're doing has nothing to do with business per se, but has everything to do with how we show up in the world and what we've said yes to as change agents. And you know, that's what Tamarack is about. He spent his life studying the world's Aboriginal people, uh, apprenticing to elders. I've done that, so I know what that experience is like. And learning traditional hunter-gatherer survivor skills. He spent years alone in the woods, as well as living with a pack of wolves. In 1987, he founded the Teaching Drum Outdoor School in the wilderness of northern Wisconsin and authored several books, including Entering the Mind of a Tracker. But here's what is not said in this bio. What's not said, and hopefully we'll talk about today, is what happens when spirit touches you on the shoulder? You know, what happens when somehow there's a calling that enters into your heart, a way of being in the world that's indescribable? You know, what happens when you get smitten with the idea that there is much more to work, uh, much more to life than a business plan or your day-to-day job? Just smitten with that idea a little bit. And then what happens when something in the world calls you to show up and be a server, a steward of sorts for other people? That's what I love about what I, what I know very little know about about this amazing individual. But when you step back and you get a sense, not from reading his book, but an intuitive sense, and you start to look at this and say, you know, we probably have more things in common than our differences. 
And I know for me, one of the things I'm going to talk about in his book is a chapter that I had to learn myself. But today, I am thrilled, I'm honored to talk with him and introduce uh, this amazing individual to all of you. Uh, Tamarack, thank you so much for joining the show today. It's wonderful to have you here. Well, Dr. Pat, it's a pleasure to be here. And with that introduction, how could I not feel good about being here? It was beautiful. I was very expressive of, of who I am, even though we haven't met in person. I very much appreciate the introduction uh, because you're touching upon what really matters in life to me and, and what really matters to life itself, I think. So I'm, I'm really looking forward to this sharing. You know, it's so it's so interesting for me because, um, of course, we're going to talk about the book. Of course, we're probably going to open up some phone lines. But one of the things that I love about what you've done and what you've written helps me understand, and I don't think I'm different than so many people tuning into the show right now, is it helps me understand parts of my journey that were just absolutely out of any range of comprehension that mm -hmm. I could imagine in my life. You know, and this is my question for you. I'm a girl that was born in the Bronx. I never thought I would get out of the Bronx. Not that I, I really even wanted to as a kid, but I never thought there was another option. But I'm also a girl that has spent many, many days in the desert, the high desert of California, vision questing, and then part of a, a spirit council helping others. And I just cannot rationalize or even begin to explain the paradox in that. But I would imagine that you have a similar paradox. And I would love to start asking you about those paradoxes that perhaps have shown up for you in your life. Mm, beautiful. Well, first of all, I have a comment on where you're from, the Bronx. Okay. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the, uh, the illustrator of this book lives in Manhattan. I'm sure you know where that is. Yeah. Uh, it's a neighborhood of yours. Yeah. Very close by. And she writes a nature column, believe it or not, on nature in Manhattan. She's oftentimes up in the night and she will see a raccoon or even occasionally a fox going right down the streets, believe it or not. And she writes about butterflies and bees who are visiting the, the, the flowers and the flower pots that people put out, the planters and such. And she talks about the birds, the pigeons, of course, but she's even seen cardinals and robins and, and other birds that you wouldn't typically expect to see in Manhattan. And she writes about hornets and, and um, ants and just all kinds of life that is right there in Manhattan in the quote-unquote concrete jungle. And it's phenomenal because most people are walking from point A to point B, and they miss everything in between. And, of course, I can't blame them. I have a little bias here. I would miss a lot of it, too, probably uh, intentionally, though. However, if we open up and learn how to listen, you know, as, as I learned from the elders and as I have described in the book here, it, it, it comes alive. It's not just concrete. It's not that at all. There is real life there. There is nature in Manhattan and the Bronx and everywhere else, no matter where we go. It just takes the intuitive insight, it takes the perceptiveness, it takes uh, resensitizing, and life can transform for us. Yeah, and you know, I love about this, because you're absolutely right. You know, when my parents, my grandparents, and my parents came over from, you know, Italy, m my folks brought the country with them. 
you know, they were raised in a part of Italy, northern Italy, that was, oh, my God, beautiful, 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 right? Mm-hmm. And growing and plants. And, oh gosh, I remember my grandpa from a very young age. My sister actually did not have this experience. I got to have this experience because my mom was ill. But I remember my grandpa in the Bronx, he used to sell used tires, but he converted that property into a living, breathing garden. Mm-hmm. And he would paint in the shack beautiful pictures. I remember the smell of both oil paint and kerosene at the same time. Mm-hmm. But isn't that what we're talking about today? Remembering nature. Because I get concerned sometimes about the fact that we may have forgotten it. it my heart gets crushed when I see pictures of what's going on in the Amazon. And I wanted to ask you, what is the message that nature you know, our four-legged, what is the message that they are wanting us to hear today? The plants, what is the message they are wanting us to hear? Oh, uh, boy, that, that's a powerful question. Uh, that, that's why I have you on the show. <laughs> yeah, and I think there's a deeper reason, too. <laughs> but, uh, you know, I, I wanted to title this book, Rebecoming Nature, because we already are nature, and what happens when we live in, in a culture that emphasizes the ego and self-centeredness and self-development, everything's about the self, we separate ourselves from everything else. It's I and everything else. And the, the biological fact, the pure biological fact is that we are nature. Our nature is nature. There's no way to separate that out of us. We evolved from nature, and to nature we are going to return when we die, no matter what we do to try to change that equation. Mm-hmm. That is what happens. That's what's going to happen. Our air, where does it come from? Where does it go to? We could not breathe if we were not intimately connected with nature. And this is what's so important, I think, and this is why I, I'm so glad you said right away you were from the Bronx, because I could <laughs> use that example. Uh, we have to realize our nature which is nature no matter where we're at Bronx Manhattan Tokyo it doesn't matter when we embrace this we are not going to exploit we are not going to soil our bed because our bed is nature Um, Mm -hmm. nature is our mother literally we were born from nature and to nature we shall return there is no way around it we can intellectualize we can put up all kinds of barriers we can build towers it does not matter all towers of Babel are going to collapse, and we're going to be right back there in the bosom of the mother. Mm-hmm. This is the way of things, and we are not going to change it. And why try? It's the beauty. The, it, you know, even those of us who live in the cities, where do we go on vacation? <laughs> <laughs> right away. I know. You know, the seashore, the mountains, you name it. Even in in our houses, if we can afford it, we want a fireplace or we have a charcoal grill outside. It's this intrinsic relationship with fire. Um, Wherever we turn, there's nature. And if we can honor that again, if we can realize that, oh, yeah, this is me. These trees are me. There's, There's no division. There's no distinction. How can I possibly exploit? How can I keep ripping off mountaintops to use fossil fuels? Why would I want to destroy the last of the indigenous people in this planet? Because my ancestors were indigenous people. These are the remnants of my ancestors. This is where
inspired to see what it's like to be human again, to live connected with the means and ends of my existence, to live in clan, to live with real relationship rather than living alone in an apartment or as an isolated nuclear couple somewhere looking for other people to connect with, um, going you know, going on the Internet to find relationship. You know, I'm thirsting. I'm constantly thirsting. Uh, where I can I can live again, I can return to what it is to honor our ancestral memories, to, to be true to my DNA programming, instead of constantly fighting it, constantly trying to be something other than who I really am. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I love what you're talking about, because here's really you know, part of the discovery. And um, uh, and the discovery for me and talking with you is, you know, what was it that happened to me, you know, on my journey, you, you know, qu- not quite as, as immersive, you know. Uh, I love that you talk about honoring the elders. That was so important to me mm-hmm. in my life and my journey. And the woman that I actually worked with very unexpectedly uh, passed away. Uh, in a car accident and I remember the gut-wrenching feeling of that but I also got to a place of gratitude and I want to ask you about this gratitude for the wisdom that she was able to pass on to those of us that got to work with her that got to understand nature now for me my understanding of nature was a little bit different than yours because the you know the nature that she worked through was the desert and mm-hmm. the and understanding nature in the desert, where so many people, Tamarack, believe there is no nature in the desert. It's the desert. Right. And once you're there and, and you're in communion with that place we call the desert, it's amazing. What have you discovered along the way from your elders and your own experience that sort of puts those misconceptions to the background about what we talk about when we talk about nature. What are some of the greatest misconceptions you've been able to uncover and 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 reveal? Mm. Well, I can answer that in one word. All right. <laughs> the answer is listening. Mm. What we do is we define nature and we have these preconceptions. We have this idyllic vision of what nature is, what nature should be, and that's based upon our, our cultural conditioning. Uh, it's based upon oftentimes what we don't have and what we're yearning for. If I'm in the city, for example, I yearn for the for the forest, the mountains, you know, whatever, whatever idyllic vision my culture paints for me, whatever I saw in the movies, uh, wherever my family used to go for our, on vacation when I was a kid. And, you know, when it comes right down to it, I'm I feel good, I feel happy, I feel content, I feel nourished in any natural environment. I don't care if it's the Arctic, the tundra, the the uh, desert, the tropics. Mm-hmm. It doesn't matter. Mountains, seashore, plains, meadows. It's all about listening. And I feel in relationship if I am listening in a deep sense. I don't mean just listening to bird songs and, and uh, the wind and the trees and such. Mm-hmm. But listening to the, the 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 hoop of relations and all that is going on in a nonverbal level, all that is going on beyond the auditory level, um, the intuitive impulses, um, the thoughts and feelings and needs and desires of of the animals around me, 
what the trees are saying about how they're feeling about the weather, about the drought, all of this. This is what draws me out of myself, out of my ego, and into relationship. And this is what the elders have taught me, and this is what I just intuitively know, and you and everybody else knows, and that is that life is relationship. There is nothing without relationship. Nothing. I don't exist. Nobody and nothing exists. It's all relationship. Life is a verb, not a noun. You know, I remember reading this in the book, and I remember uh, writing down that there are three gifts I think you mentioned um, uh, uh, about what happens when we listen. Well, you know, we give three gifts, silence, presence, and active listening. And I believe you go on and say something that I totally resonated with, you know, and, and talking about listening means more than anything else to us. Uh, and, you know, when we listen to everything, right, you know, we listen to everything. We listen to the wind. We listen to, you know, the silence in a sense. And you talk about mm. the fact that there is this intuition, the senses. And I remember multiple times uh, being in the high desert and being out there all by myself, uh, even though my you know, my spiritual teacher, my elder was, I don't know, a couple miles away. It felt like myself. Mm -hmm. uh, and yet I wasn't by myself. Uh, and I remember the first night that I had ever spent out there. And by the way, for those of you that may not, you know, know what I'm talking about, you know, this is a place where you don't take a tent. You don't really have a tent. You're not pitching a tent. Maybe you have a blanket or something like that. It gets very cold at night in the desert. Uh, you're not going to really be doing anything that, you know, is kind of protective. You're honoring the land. You're building a medicine wheel, whatever that, you know, ritual might look like. But you literally are being there. And I remember this like it was yesterday. My first medicine wheel that I entered. And for me, you know, the tradition was once you enter that, med once you enter that sacred area, you don't leave. And you could never know, Tamarack, you could never know what is going to join you in that space. That and I remember, I remember this like it was mm. yesterday. I had built my first, created my first medicine wheel around a beautiful piece of wood. I didn't know that the piece of wood had these incredibly large lizards in it. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, but what are the lessons from this? Because, you know, mm -hmm. these are lessons that I am afraid we're going to lose. These are yeah. lessons that I'm afraid we're going to forget that we have intuition that can be brought to the forefront. And nature, nature can provide the vehicle for that. Oh, beautiful. That's a beautiful example you gave. And what what you had thrown right in your face is actually what active listening is all about which is listening not for something or because of something but listening without preference or prejudice it's being open to everything and anything or nothing that is occurring within or around me and this is when I disappear this is when my aura blends meshes with the auras of everything around me and I am as an an example I like to use is as an organ sure. within an organism. You know, if I took out my liver, it means nothing in and of itself. It has no function. It can it can 
survive. However, my liver works in synchronicity with my heart and my lungs and my nerves and all of my other organs and, and, and structures. And here I am, an active, vibrant organism. And it's the same with active listening. I'm nothing in and of myself. The, my liver cannot do what it wants to do. My liver has to serve the organism in order that the organism can serve it. And this is oh, um, this is very important, Doctor Pat. But, yeah. Uh, what and I, it's a, a basic premise that the elders gave me very early on in my life, and that is that giving is receiving. Mm. And they didn't say I have to receive so that I have something to give. No, um, I give first. I just give without any thought of what I might receive, with without any um, distinction, uh, without any um, need or desire there. I just give. I give for the sake of giving. And what happens is that this opens up a channel for receiving, because giving and receiving is a two-way street, and if it's blocked one way, it's not going to work the other way. Yeah. And also, I'm creating space within myself, and this is this is beautiful once I realize this. If I'm so full of myself, and um, I, I think I want or need something, where am I going to put it? So, when I give, I create space. I'm, yeah. I'm releasing. I'm trusting. I'm opening to relationship, and now, you know, the world is at my door, and I am, and I am at, at the world's door. It's just, it, it just starts to work. Life starts to work in a very different way. Mm. Boy, I really ne- needed to hear this conversation today because, you know, I'm not unlike so many people where we get so caught up in, you know, our business world, right? Mm-hmm. Or our our vision dream world, the amazing things that perhaps we're creating, and we literally forget to stop and remember exactly what you're talking about. You know, we think that sometimes it's better to to run faster, and yet today, um, I'm reminded that that has not been you know how that has worked for me in my life. It's not to run faster. Mm-hmm. It is sometimes to surrender to the not doing, to surrender to the the not knowing. It is one of the greatest gifts of surrender I think I've learned, you know, from an elder. It is to surrender to the not knowing. What I would like to do is we have three copies of this incredible book, and you're right, the illustrations are just amazing. Um, The first one, Benny, we'd like to do 1-800-930-2819. 1-800-930-2819. And for those of you out there, if you want to find out more about Tamarack, uh, go to tamaracksong.org, and it's T-A-M-A-R-A-C-K song.org. I wanted to ask you before we go to break, Something fascinating. It's always been mind-boggling for me, and I'm so glad that you're here. It would have been one of the questions I would have asked. You know, my mentor, amazing woman, who had been taking people from all walks and lives on vision quest into the desert, Uh, not just the desert here, but the high desert, the not-so-high desert, Death Valley, the desert in Australia, all over the world. And people that are executives as well as people that are not. And one of the things that 
you know, she would just laugh and chuckle at me. I would always ask her about the animals that would show up in my life. Animals, you know, are four-legged. You know, in, in my case, they have many more legs than that. And I would always ask her. And, you know, I remember on my first vision quest, my life was saved by a turkey vulture, which I thought was an eagle. But my affiliation to wolves is unexplainable. And I know that is the same for you. But unlike you, I have never been face to face. But if you come to my home right now, they're everywhere. Really? I don't under, I have them everywhere. I have pictures of them. I, I mean, I have, and it's almost kind of funny because on my birthday, every birthday, somebody gives me one in some form or another. And I want to ask you, how do we talk about our relationship with animals in that way, even if we don't have one of them or two of them in our backyards? Right. Do you consider a wolf to be your animal guide? Yeah, I do. All right. I really do. There, I, a... I have two. I have an animal guide, and, you know, my mentor used to tease me about that. I have an insect guide, too. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's the spider. Mm-hmm. Yeah, oh. my my uh, friends uh, don't understand how I attract so many spiders. I think it's pretty easy to explain. Yep, it sure is. <laughs> Beautiful. You know, Dr. Pat, this is, this is as you know, from uh, reading my book, yeah. um, wolves are very, I have a, a very a close relationship with wolves, canines mm-hmm. in general, but wolves in particular, yep. and um, wolves are an animal guide of mine, and I, I lived with a pack of wolves when I was in my 20s, and what I learned from them is, is just astounding, and I think the reason I learned it, and the reason you have such a close relationship with wolves uh, even though you've never been with one in the flesh, that does not matter because you are with one um, in your DNA. And I'll, I'll explain my awareness of this. Um, wolves, uh, well, you know the saying that a dog is man's best friend, right? And people, dogs are the most popular pet, and, and um, dogs uh, seem to fit in every every walk of life. Um Around the planet, every almost every people um, has dogs of one sort or another. And one theory that just resonates with me, that feels really good for me, one anthropological theory, is that we evolved as humans, as modern humans, right along with dogs. Uh, it probably began with uh, our our hunting camps and us throwing out our refuse that remains after the uh, kill or after the hunt, and um, the wolves coming around and scavenging off of the remains, and, and some of the more um, docile wolves started hanging around the camp, and they just gradually domesticated themselves, and they became our early dogs. And even before that, though, and, and this is what fascinates me, is that when when our distant ancestors started moving out of the jungles and into the savanna and uh, started uh, becoming bipedal, started started um, standing on their rear legs and um, uh, foraging, scavenging, probably not hunting yet because they were not good runners as we are now, but uh, they were beginning, they saw the wolves. They saw the wolves hunting and they would follow the wolf packs and probably scavenge off of the wolf kills which many animals still do. The wolves feed all kinds of animals with their kills. 
um, foxes, ravens, uh, wolverines, badgers, all kinds of animals. And uh, we probably did the same thing. And as our brains evolved, as we came to realize that, wow, hey, we could do this. We don't have to just scavenge. We can go out and we don't have to be so dependent upon them. But we can evolve this interdependence where we go and hunt with the wolves or in parallel to the wolves. And we developed this close affinity for the wolves because not only um, did we become more and more carnivorous when we left the jungles, but we also became more social. And the wolves live in very beautiful extended family uh, social units, uh, packs, and they're very loyal and devoted animals. You know, the the, the myth of the um, you know the the bloodthirsty wolf, the the you know the Little Red Riding Hood myths we have, and yeah. we talk about wolfing down food and all of these stereotypes we have are not true at all. Mm-hmm. <laughs> they're anything but that. Um, if you can imagine your dog feeding the wolf um, stereotypes, then maybe they're true. But if you can't, wolves are wild dogs. Dogs are domestic wolves. That's it, period. Um, and wolves in the wild are, are just as kind and lovable and devoted to their packs as they are, as dogs are devoted to us. There's no difference. So there's this kinship, there's this intrinsic kinship, and people just know it, feel it. Um, and I'm, again, I'm not surprised at all that you have um, wolf um, um, memorabilia all over your house. <laughs> there's this inner yearning for relationship, you know, and, and there it is. It is. And, you know, uh, uh, we're going to take a short break, but what I want to say is uh, not too many years ago, I was part of an advocacy group um, uh, to stop the slaughter of wolves. And someone actually asked me why, you know, Pat, you can, you know, you can become an advocate for any number of things, but why are you so engaged in this? And I, and, you know, I just started to cry because there there are really no words for us as human beings to do the slaughter that we do sometimes it just there's just no words to explain that and you know we're going to take a short break we have another copy of the book to give away but when we come back we're going to talk about this we're going to talk about invisibility and what is it about invisibility and fear that have a relationship to each other you know what has tamarack and i both experienced in moments in the dark perhaps as we'd like to call it in the wilderness, you know, hearing sounds, noises, footprints. What is it about that that helps us come to a place of absolute peace? Can fear be a pathway to inner peace? Maybe our greatest teacher. I don't know. Tamarack's going to help me with that when we come back. But I would love to give another copy of the book away. 1-800-930-2819. We'll be right back.
Are you and your family looking for one manageable lifestyle change that will positively impact your health? Look no further. That change begins inside your drinking glass. Learn how to put a lid on junk drinking by sipping from a recipe collection of colorful, fresh, tasty, wholesome fruit and vegetable blends. Get your copy now of Sip the Garden. Fun, easy drinks for a healthier family by T. Carrie Mitchell. Visit lifestyle120.com for information on how to order. Transformation Talk Radio is dedicated to the education and awareness of Lyme disease. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to Lyme Talk Radio. I'm Dr. Pat, joined here by Dr. Nusheen Darvish. Dr. Pat Basili and Dr. Nusheen Darvish will be bringing the most innovative, groundbreaking information, research, treatment innovations, and stories from those it affects every day. I'm so excited to be talking about this. We have so much to share. Dr. Darvish and I are planning to do is connect the dots. People suffering with all sorts of chronic diseases, it's time. It is time for them to transform. Tune into Lyme Talk Radio and help keep our mission strong for the loyal listeners out there that have been listening to this incredible show on Lyme disease we are not going to let you down we're going to come through stronger and enrich the platform for Lyme disease awareness through Lyme Talk Radio the message will continue the conversations will become stronger and the healing epic Access Consciousness is coming back to Seattle this April for three amazing events Mark your calendars. April 20th through the 22nd is the Access Consciousness Body Classes, created by Gary Douglas and Dr. Dane here, facilitated by Dr. Glenna Rice. Explore verbal processes and hands-on bodywork that will unlock the tension, resistance, and dis-ease of the body by shifting energy dynamically. April 23rd through the 25th is the Advanced Access Body Class with Gary Douglas. What if you could undo a whole lot of limitations that you have locked into your body and create an alteration of the way your body functions? Then, on April 26th at 7 p.m., join Gary Douglas for the Abuse Hold class. This is the first time ever that this dynamic process is being presented in a class format. Find out more about these Access Consciousness April events in Seattle by visiting transformation.events. That's transformation.events. Tune in to Sheer Alchemy with Leslie Fontaine on TransformationTalkRadio.com and get ready to stir up your passions, identify your blocks, and shift into an entirely new existence. Leslie Fontaine is a transformation catalyst and clairvoyant who uses her intuitive and energetic gifts to catapult listeners into living the life they were born to live. Whether it's shifting from scarcity to abundance, from emotional pain into joy, or from illness into to health. Leslie will help you step into the true essence and power of all that you are with the help of the Ascended Masters and Archangels. You will not be the same. Visit TransformationTalkRadio.com for show dates and times and LeslieFontaine.com to say yes to explosive abundance. Did I stay away too long? Have we grown apart? Are we still cool? Huh? Hey everybody, welcome back. For more information about us, I just want to make sure that you all know you can find out lots about us by going to thedrpatshow.com. 
Uh, and then uh, the other thing is you can go to transformationtalkradio.com and yeah, you can take a peek at transformationradio.fm.com and we're getting ready to launch that in June. And so lots of information there. But you know, if you want to find out more about my super amazing guest, get a copy of the book, please. Uh, I know that we've already given away two copies of the book and we have another one to give away um, in a minute. Uh, I would like you to go to his website, tamaracksong.org, T-A-M-A-R-A-C-K, song, S-O-N-G, dot org. Um, and you'll be able to find out lots and lots and lots of information. The other place you can go is teachingdrum.org, teachingdrum.org. Uh, really cool stuff there. Really, really cool stuff there. Um, and then there are other materials and other books. And, you know, Entering the Mind of the Tracker is another book. I love, I love, love, love everything that Tamarack is doing. Um, so for those of you out there, you can also look at what does it mean to be part of a wilderness guide program. You know, there's just so many ways that some of the things that, that Tamarack and I are talking about today, you too can experience. And, you know, this is what it means to to pass on the wisdom, the knowledge, you know, the teachings, the rituals, the journey, because they're not really meant for us to keep within ourselves. They really are meant to pass along. Mm. Um, and this is really part of how we get to show up in the world. You know, so this is part of why we're here even talking about this today, because there is some knowledge and wisdom that are not meant to be kept. It's meant to be shared so that perhaps someday you might share it. Um, Tamarack, thank you for today. Thank you for your generosity. Um, I know we were going to talk about invisibility, but also I, I think it is important to talk about this, you know, this love-hate relationship, you know, we have with nature. And I'm not just talking about one or two things, right? I mean, people, you know, have certain fears about certain animals or you know, snakes we were talking about. But mm -hmm. wolves in particular, we, we just really have a perception about them that is truly a perception. I'd love for you to talk about that. Oh, this, this is yeah, what, what I work for in, in my life in terms of helping with the healing, in terms of helping to change the, the um, what seemingly one-way track of our culture is to find resonance, to find relationship. And as, as I said earlier, everything is relationship. And I was floored when I came to realize that those who love and those to, who hate are the same kinds of people because they feel, and this is what's important. Have you ever been in, a, in, a, in an intimate relationship and um, that you're just deeply in love with this person and it goes sour and you end up just, you can't stand that person anymore, you can't be around that person and you say, oh, I hate that person. I just, ah. And it's the, what I came to realize intuitively before I, I started studying um, neuroscience and reading some research on what neural synapses are and how they function, our limbic process, which is our deeper mind, our animal mind, does not distinguish between love and hate. Um, it's the same core emotion. It's the same core passion. So this helped me to, to recognize that 
hey, I have some something in common with people who hate wolves. Um, I feel for wolves, and they feel for wolves. Now, my cultural conditioning is might be different from their cultural conditioning, it's, and it's given a spin to their feeling. But they have a relationship with wolves just like I do. They feel for these animals. Now, it may be warped and distorted, but I'm not going to let that get in my way. I'm going to sit down with them. I'm going to listen. I'm going to find out what their fears and desires are so that we can have some communication. And I've seen change. I've seen people transform themselves. Well, I think I love what you're talking about because I was just having a conversation with somebody about culture the other day, and I was talking about the culture in organizations. And wouldn't it be wonderful if we could actually use this dialogue we're having here today to try to understand and, you know, show up as our best selves in the world, whether it's the culture of our families or in organizations or in communities or how about in nature? I mean, there's really so much to learn from this. But our fear, our fear brings us to a behavior that is also indescribable. That must be my word for today, Tamarack, mm-hmm. that indescribable is my word. It's a good one. It is a good word because mm-hmm. we do some things when we are afraid. Our mind goes to places when we are afraid. And, you know, it doesn't really take much. Uh, you know, I, I mean, I've seen people actually lose it, have close to a psychotic break because a check bounced. So yeah. th- this is the world we're living in today, right? Mm-hmm. Or because yep. somebody Facebooked them and said something about what they're wearing. Um, yep. We're living in such levels of fear. I would love for you to talk about this in the context of what you've written in the book, and the spur- especially when you talk about, you know, becoming invisible. Mm. Oh, this is so important. I'm glad you brought yeah. it up. Yeah. Fear. Fear plays a vital role in our lives. We need, we, we function on fear all the time. If I'm coming up to an, an intersection at a, in, in a crosswalk, and I want to cross the road, and there are vehicles coming by, what stops me from stepping out in front of a vehicle is fear. And the reason I am not um, traumatized by that fear is that I have embraced this fear. I have worked out a relationship with this fear, and this fear is my guide. This fear keeps me safe. So fear is good. Fear is beneficial, and this is what we need to realize. Everything is for a reason. Every emotion, every feeling is for a reason, and it's not the reason that I think. It just exists purely of and for and by itself. And if I can embrace that feeling whether it's fear or any other emotion, it is going to serve me. That's what they're for. So fear is so important because rather than crippling me, I need to embrace that fear to see what it has to tell me. There is a message there. There is a vital message for my well-being. Here's what I'm experiencing. I'm experiencing this opportunity to remember. Mm. And, you know, this is hard to explain, and I hope you can explain this to to people listening to the show, because sometimes we think that we don't have at the core of us, Tamarack, we don't have it at the core of us. Like there may be some people listening today that would be saying to themselves, wait a minute, wait a minute, that's just for those two. You know, wait a minute, he's been out in the wilderness, he's lived with wolves, she's been out in the desert, you know, who knows what she's been doing in the desert, but you know what, I've Mm. not been any of those places. 
And what I want to, to really talk with you about is the transference of what you've written in your book, what we're talking about today, to modern day time. See, this is not something that's only for a handful of people. Not at right? all. Mm-hmm. And this is a conversation about, wait a minute, the things here, you know, what you've learned, what you're sharing, what you're passing on, they have become a way of being. And that way of being can be for everybody listening. Yes. Right? Would Beautiful. you talk about that? Because I think oh, that yeah. if we don't talk about that, the show is going to end and people are going to think, wow, that was just for those two. Yep. Yeah, yeah, beautiful. I'm glad you're bringing it up now rather than in the last minute. We can barely, yeah. <laughs> barely squeeze it in. No, this, listen, this you so got 10 minutes. Important. Go for it. Yeah, I run into this, and I'm really sad about it. And, and mm-hmm. I'm not sad for long because I turn it around right away. I'm really humbled by people who will sometimes come to me and say, oh, you know, I've read your books, and, and you've led this this." this um, gilded life and oh you lived with wolves and you had such a childhood and, and you, you know I was so deprived and I, I'll never be that and you know what can you teach me and the first thing I do is just to to smile benevolently and, and open up and say hey this what my um, my history is nothing special yes you know they, the, you know I, I can tell stories but that's just stories the stories come from the same place that your stories are going to come from because you already have it. You are already a self-actualized individual. You have all the skills and abilities and the and the perceptiveness that I have. The only difference is that I've spent more time at peeling off the layers that have prevented me from being able to be my fully centered and fully manifest being. We were born wild. You were born wild. I was born wild. We both went through a domestication process. <laughs> do, you, do you ever want to, uh, if you ever want to, to, to see that, to realize that, just spend some time with a small child. Look at the spontaneity. Look at the the um, spontaneous expression of feelings. The, the needs and desires are right there. You can read them in their faces. This is a wild creature in the now, spontaneous, connected with everything around. And this is who we are right now, right here and now, no matter how prim and proper we are, no matter how we've conditioned ourselves or other people have conditioned us to do this at this point in time and that at that point in time and and on and on and on. That is just circus tricks. That's just tricks we've been taught to perform. That is not who I am. Um, uh, you know, bears and wolves and elephants can be per- uh, taught to perform circus tricks in zoos or, or in in, uh, in, uh, in circuses, and uh, that's not who they really are. That's not it at all. They are still bear and wolf and elephant, and so are we. We are still our natural selves, and what we want to do is to let it burst forth, rather than thinking that we have to cram something down and learn something. It's not that at all. We just need to open up. And that's what my life is all about in terms of sharing what I have gained from the elders. And that's why I write. That's my sole purpose for writing, to help people to become themselves, to re-become their nature. 
you know, I would love to do this. I'd love to give another copy of the book away. 1-800-930-2819. I was really struck by a couple of things, and I would like to talk about them. Um, One of the things I, I was really struck by about is how in our pop culture today, you know, we've taken an animal, uh, if I could refer to a bear as an animal for a moment, and we have done some amazing things with the way we look at animals. Now, here's what I want to say about it, and I want to talk about bear for a minute because I happen to have made a drum, and little did I know that I would ever select bear to be that part of that drum skin, right? Mm -hmm. And all of a sudden now, we are faced with a pop culture in a world where a movie comes out and it looks at uh, what bears can do to literally maul somebody to death uh, without fully explaining it, juxtapose that with a commercial that has talking bears about a car, a car that starts with itself in a kind of fun way. I mean, this is like interesting to me that we now have this new animal being brought to our culture in the most interesting way. And the question would be by a lot of people, why the bear? Well, here's another close relationship. It's amazing. Uh, <laughs> the Ojibwe people who live um, in the area where I live, actually, I live on, on their land. This is Ojibwe land where I live in northern Wisconsin. Consider the bear to be their brother, to be their closest relative. And you know, there are a number of reasons for that. Uh, there are a couple of beautiful traditional stories. We don't have time in this program for me to share the stories, uh-huh. but there are these stories about how the bear, how bear taught the people uh, the medicine plants in the area, and how bear taught us to dream. Just profound stories. And when what what the elders explained to me is that what they would do is to to learn things is to follow bear around. They would learn where to forage. They would learn where the berries are ripe because the bears go for the berries. They would learn in the springtime which medicinal plants are used for cleansing after a long winter when um, a lot of heavy foods are eaten, a lot of fat and a lot of meat. Well, the bears would go out with the first greens that are up and they would select these medicine greens that are are cleansing, uh, cleansing herbs. And there's this just this kinship with, with bear because of it. Um, bear moves in very much, very similar way that um, native people move through the woods, and um, people and bears oftentimes use the same trails. There's this beautiful kinship. Bears are omnivores like us. Bears can eat just about anything, and so can we. So on and on and on. There's this. There's this. Um, there are these close parallels between the two, uh, between the two creatures, the two people. Um, to the natives, they're the bear people. They're not bears. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting about this because I, I I think that, you know, many of us are touched in some way by, you know, by animals, by, you know, the winged. You know, we're touched in ways we don't understand. What would you say to folks listening today, Tamarack? You know, how can each person listening honor, honor, you know, the animal presence that shows up? And I mentioned earlier, I, I have this relationship with spiders that I don't understand. I really do. I mean, you know, if you came to my house on any given day, you would say a spider web's outside. And, you know, when my friends come over, they're like, what do you have going on here? What are you growing? 
And, you know, maybe it's, you know, the ancestry of Spider Woman. I don't know, you know, one of the, but I don't try to explain it anymore. I try to honor it. I don't kill spiders. I literally will go to great lengths to capture them and bring them outside. But what about people listening to the show? You know, what if they have something like that showing up? What can you say to help them honor that presence? Uh, Well, that's, that's a beautiful question. First of all, Dr. Pat, I'd like to suggest that you look at, at my my book previous to this one, which is called Entering the Mind of the Tracker. Uh-huh. I have a story in there on spiders that I think will touch you because I of your will. I will do spiders. that. <laughs> Great. Okay. Now, what can we do to honor these animals who come into our lives? The what I was taught by the elders is that we all have one animal, one particular animal who is our guide. Um, for those of us with a Christian background, you can think of it as a parallel to our guardian angel, and, mm-hmm. and the evolution of guardian angels actually came from from animal guides. Um, and we, we share spirit, we share soul with this animal. Now, there may be other animals in our lives also, animals, plants, and other entities, who play guiding roles also. There's still this one special relationship. And the, the first way to honor this is to listen to our dreams, because these animals come to us in our dreams, sometimes directly and sometimes through metaphor. Um, uh, Owl is my animal guide, and I have um, a son and a stepdaughter who live in two different places, and they, uh, for one Christmas, they, they each bought me a gift, and they didn't know well, actually, one of them did. One of them knew my animal guide at the time. The other didn't. And they each bought me a gift in a different place. And one was a, a wall placard, and the other one was a calendar. And they both had the same picture of the same owl on it. What are the odds mm-hmm. of that happening? Wow. You know, there's just some there's some synchronicity that happens. And with our animal guide, it just comes up in life. It might be a picture on a calendar. Uh, it might be in a dream. It might be uh, the animal might actually cross our path. And oftentimes, these these um, these encounters are just barely outside of the realm of of coincidence. Uh, they they can be explained away. If someone else saw them, they'd say, "Oh, that was just you know just coincidence that this happened." But not within yourself because you know that oh I just this morning I woke up with this dream and now I see this animal and and there's the synchronicity that occurs and there's this relationship that is as the elders have explained it to me this is our closest relationship this is a closer relationship than than to my mate my partner this is a closer relationship than to my children because I was born with this relationship and it's always there. Um, my partner might come and go in my life, but my animal guide is still there, always mm-hmm. there. And honoring that relationship is being with that relationship, embracing it, cre- uh, creating mm-hmm. time for it, as you yeah. do in your life. You have pictures and, uh, and illustrations, etc., yeah. of wolves all over your house. I do. Understand it or not, it does not matter. This has mm-hmm. nothing to do with consciousness. Most people in our culture, in our contemporary culture, have no understanding of animal guides, yet they're there. 
and they are playing a role in our lives. Wow. Thank you so much for today. Thank you so much for joining me. And congratulations and uh, really much love to you for really bringing to the forefront a message that is so needed. Thank you so much for today, Tamarack. Oh, it's my pleasure, Dr. Pat. Thank you. And thanks to all the listeners for joining us. Wow. We're going to take a short break, everyone. We'll be right back with the show. The preceding audio was via a Skype call.